folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here. And as we always do after these games, it is time for five questions with intern Paul. So he obviously watched the game, take very detailed notes, and comes up with five different angles to address through uh, this postgame of uh, breaking down the Vikings 31-23 to win over the Houston Texans. So, Paul, what's up? You know, Matt, I'm, I'm excited to talk about a, a win finally. It's not all doom and gloom now on this podcast. And just uh, it's been so nice these last two weeks to actually have some fun, competitive games that could kind of go either way for most of the game, much better than the, than the first two weeks. And, yeah, I, it's it's given me new life because if we had just done 28-3 to Colts or whatever that final score was all season, I think by, by week nine, I don't know, we wouldn't have had much else to talk about. They're, they're bad again. So it's, it's at least nice to have some parody in that. I agree that the analysis of this was bad, this was bad, this was bad, this didn't go well, and this was bad, and everyone should be fired and sent to the sun in a rocket ship. That is um, okay for one podcast after the Green Bay game. That was kind of fun to break down everything that had gone wrong. But if we have that every week and there are no close games, it is going to be pretty redundant and what's interesting about these two the Titans and the Texans games is I think that these will be what we see going forward where it's a lot of close games it's not the greatest defense it is exciting plays on offense and it will come down to the ends and it sort of speaks to what I said last week to open the podcast it's okay everyone just sort of throw your hands up and enjoy the roller coaster ride. You're not really a Super Bowl contender, so let's have a fun season because most of the outside world isn't super fun. And the other thing about this too is, you know, baseball's going to be uh, going to its playoffs. Okay, that's cool, but the Twins aren't really involved. So by aren't really, I mean not at all involved. And the Wolves aren't going to play again till what? I don't know, January or something. And the Lynx season is over. 
and you don't have hockey at this moment and won't for a very long time. Like, this is your team that you are going to be focusing on for the rest of a very while. So let's have fun with it. All right, so why don't you just jump right into it with your first yeah. question. And I'm, I'm excited to talk a little bit this week or all of this week about actual players that are on the Vikings and not hypothetical Vikings at this point. We're, we're talking about some guys that are actually on the roster and it might some hypothetical ones, one in particular, might be out of reach now because there might be one team that played on Thursday night that who knows if they'll even win a game. So I think the Vikings could have put themselves out of that player right, right away. But I guess first off, let's start off with something re- really good was there's kind of a Vikings big three developing in this offense now of Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen, and Justin Jefferson. They kind of had it last year with Diggs. They weren't sure if they would have it again. Um, Jefferson seems to be in that role. Dalvin Cook, 130 yards, two touchdowns. Thielen, 114 yards, a touchdown. Jefferson, 103 yards, which accounted for legitimately like all of the offense, like 90, 95% of the offense. So I want you to put it in perspective for us in the rest of the league in terms of a big three. Where is this Vikings trio amongst the, the, the ranks of the best in the league? Because I would say going through it, it's it's probably top five, and maybe you could make a case higher than that. So it depends on how much you believe that Justin Jefferson's last two games are what Justin Jefferson is going to bring you for the rest of the season. I tend to think that it's something like this. I mean, when it comes to somebody being as explosive as he is, as open as he is, and able to make contested catches, a back shoulder catch down the sideline, where he there's another one where he goes up over somebody and makes a play that uh, you can either get him the ball on shorter passes or shorter routes like he showed against Tennessee and he can make big plays, or you could go down the field to him, or you could get him yards after catch. There are so many different things that Justin Jefferson Jefferson is showing that he can do that I'm going to assume he's going to keep doing it and if teams game plan for him which I'm sure the Texans did that means Adam Thielen's going to be open we dealt with that for a long time with Diggs and Thielen and opposing teams never really figured out a way to stop it and if you've got the same thing here again where every time Jefferson touches the ball he's going to create a big play well yeah I mean I think that they are developing this into being one of the best groups of weapons, which we sort of projected before the season, but I think we saw Irv Smith being that guy. And again, a day where Irv Smith is basically no part of this offense, but when you only throw 22 passes and a bunch go to Thielen and a bunch go to Justin Jefferson, again, it doesn't mean that Irv Smith is a bust. It just means he didn't get involved at any point. But if Jefferson blows by Irv Smith for who you thought was going to be a big weapon in this offense, I think that you're happy with that. That's a first-round draft pick. They've had a bunch of first-round draft picks go bust recently. And the way you drew it up on the board was you can get a great receiver in a great receiver draft and have Stefan Diggs be replaced and not have to worry that much about it. And I think the thing you're going to look back at here maybe with this offense is was there not a better way to get Justin Jefferson involved in those first two weeks? That's where we might end up looking back, especially, and I'm not saying this happens, but especially if they turn this thing around and we're talking about looking at an eight and eight type of season and they get a couple of wins and they surprise somebody like Seattle. Uh, They come in there, maybe Seattle underestimates them and they beat them and Jefferson's great. And then we're going to go, wow, you're two and three, but maybe if you play Jefferson, you're not two and three, maybe you're three and two. Uh, I don't think they win that Packers game no matter what, but I mean, I think you're going to look at that and say, 
why why didn't that happen? Because maybe things could have been a little different. And then with Delvin Cook, I mean, you know how good Delvin Cook is. You know how good Thielen is when he gets single coverage, or in this case with the Texans, no coverage whatsoever, and he's wide open. And there was another one that went right off the fingertips where he was wide open in the end zone, and that was just, you know, inches away. So I do think that what we talked about earlier in the offseason was they're going to have a lot of weapons for Gary Kubiak to use, and it was so shocking to see in those first few weeks that they couldn't take advantage of him. Now it seems like they're able to do that, and that sort of leads to a question about, well, if the offense continues to produce like this, then what do they end up being as a team? The answer probably is not, as you alluded to, a tank for Trevor team. Yeah, and – Trying to put them in the scope of other teams in the NFL, I mean, it's they're not going to come close to the Chiefs, who obviously Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, and then Clyde, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. You're looking at the Cowboys with Zeke, uh, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, or C.D. Lamb, whoever you want to throw in there. Um, and and there's a couple others, but they're, they're, after those two, there's not a clear ranking. And if Justin Jefferson continues to show he he's the real deal, then you've got three legitimate pieces. Like the Saints have two legitimate pieces that are probably better than both of the Vikings, Kamara and Cook, could be debated, um, but they don't have that third option quite yet. So if they have that, those three, I, I'm wondering, and this can kind of transition into our next question, when you have those three, and we kind of saw it today, they made up for a lot of the other deficiencies, mainly the offensive line deficiency for the Vikings. Like, uh, Cousins got sacked on a three-man pressure early in the first quarter, and I was like, oof. But in a couple other times, the offensive line got beat, but for the most part, it seemed like Cook was able to navigate his way through and do a lot better than he probably should have with the blocking that he got. And if Thielen and Jefferson are getting open and Kirk can hit them downfield, I'm just wondering how much they can maybe make up for those like deficiencies that we've seen on the offense, on that offensive line, and just in general, if this can translate to against some better teams. Because Houston obviously has had a, a rough schedule, but as we saw today, they aren't perfect. They have lots of blemishes. So they're going to face better teams than Houston. And is there any reason to believe this is going to continue against some of those better teams? I definitely think this continues. It depends on your definition of better teams because there are better overall teams that they're facing coming up, but not great defensive teams outside of the Packers and the Bears. Think about their upcoming schedule here. The Seahawks do not have a very good defense. The Falcons absolutely do not. The Packers do. The Lions do not. The Bears do, and the Cowboys do not. So that is one, two, three, four out of their next six games where they're facing defenses that aren't all that good. And I think that we're all going to pick the Seattle Seahawks at home to beat the Vikings because Russell Wilson's better than Kirk Cousins and they have great weapons themselves. They're, I don't know if they're in the, the same sort of big three list, but they have a lot of players to throw to now. DK Metcalf is an emerging star. Tyler Lockett is extremely good. So we're seeing Russell Wilson get a lot out of that offense. But at the same time, this one has kind of shootout written over it, just like this one today did with Deshaun Watson. I did not know Bill O'Brien was going to hand off up the middle on every second and 10 like a complete joker, but I guess I should have because Rivers McCown told us that earlier in the week that they were uh, the worst play calling team in the NFL. And I don't think there's any question about that after watching that game. That is not the case for the Seattle Seahawks. And it's not the case for Dallas either. 
But you look at what happened to Dallas against the Cleveland Browns, they could not stop them. Absolutely could not stop Baker Mayfield and a Browns offense that is very similar to what the Vikings have. And the Browns are in that conversation too. Nick Chubb, uh, he got hurt today, I saw, but Nick Chubb, Odell Beckham, uh, Landry, like uh, Austin Hooper, it's the same sort of deal. And I think the Vikings will put up, put up big numbers against a lot of these teams offensively. And all of a sudden, I'm not saying I'm writing in wins for all of them, but I'm saying, is there a lot more shootouts to come? Are there a lot more offensive performances like this to come? And I, I think that there are. Yeah, I, I, I want to go in a direction you kind of, you mentioned and that Houston really, really struggled and Twitter was just like, making fun of Houston all game long, it seemed, as I was going through my timeline. And so how much was this Houston's, like, ineptitude and play calling and situational? Like, they were running down two scores on first and second down still, and they were still doing it on that last drive. And, I mean, to be fair, Deshaun Watson was missing some guys in the first half, but once he got that up-tempo te- up thing going in the first drive of the second half, you could you just kind of looked at him, and you're like, okay, this is a different player. And then they just kind of let him do his thing and, like, yeah, so I, I want to know how much is it Houston's ineptitude? How much is it the Vikings playing well? I'm sure it's a mix of those two things, but where what, where do you lie on that? So I think when you go through the teams in the league that are the worst run, and you let's say you started drafting the worst run teams, Houston is a top three draft pick. They're not beating the New York Giants. They're not beating the New York Jets. But right after that, Jacksonville is in that same conversation. The Washington football squad does not even have a team name. So I guess they go to automatic number one pick of the team ineptitude draft. Uh, They also passed on a quarterback prospect to believe in Dwayne Haskins, which why? Maybe they thought that this next quarterback draft was better, so they didn't want to take Tua, but still, why Uh, did you buy into Dwayne Haskins? I don't know the answer to that question, but Houston is right up there. Not only has Bill O'Brien taken a coup, I guess, to their front office and just taken over everybody's job, but he also seems to have no idea how to help Deshaun Watson be better at football. I mean, how many times did we see Deshaun Watson with an easy throw to someone who was open? Only when the Vikings had tremendously bad mental errors later in the game without Harrison Smith. But early in the game, when Harrison Smith is in, even the throw that Smith gets thrown out of the game, Deshaun Watson has to fire a bullet into coverage to to get an explosive play. And on the other side, we see Kirk Cousins finding a lot of open receivers and a lot of big gains that way throughout the game. And so between the play calling, the scheme that they have Deshaun Watson running, the fact that they don't really use Deshaun Watson's legs except for at the worst time when their terrible player who they traded for. Think about the guys they traded for. David Johnson, Brandon Cooks, Brandon Cooks had three targets for zero reception, zero yards. Like, what are they doing as a franchise? So I do think that it's a big picture, small picture, that throughout this game, Bill O'Brien seemed clueless with his game planning. They wanted to load the box, but yet they still couldn't stop Delvin Cook. And loading the box allowed Kirk Cousins to find receivers all over the field. I mean, it was a messy performance. If you're in Houston right now, you are absolutely slaughtering them for being as bad as they are. So, yes, if we're asking what percentage was the Vikings played really well, what percentage was Houston played really poorly, I think that we're probably in the middle. Because the Vikings earned those big plays. 
I mean, some of them at least. Some Adam Thielen is wide open, but Justin Jefferson, back shoulder catch down the sideline on third and long is well-earned. It's a great throw. It's an incredible catch by Justin Jefferson. Uh, 100 yards for him. Delvin Cook, a lot of his runs, well-earned. He's getting contacted behind the line of scrimmage. He's creating something. He's scoring in the red zone. I mean, he had a just a tremendously good game. And uh, I, I look at it like they earned it with those great offensive players, but Houston is definitely not an opponent you say, wow, you beat Houston? Well, throw the celebration after this one. It's more like, you know what? In hindsight, I think a lot of us should have said, no, let's not give them the excuse of the schedule because they also got their doors blown off by those teams that that were good, and then they played well for a half against Pittsburgh, and that's it. Uh, I, I think that Houston is a very, very bad team in a really tough spot. They don't have their first-round pick going forward, so you should feel good about beating them because of the way that you did with your offense. But at the same time, they beat themselves. They fumbled and committed a penalty on the same play. Like, hard to do some of the things that the Texans did. So I'll go 50-50. Yeah, and good teams cap relies on bad teams' ineptitudes and their deficiencies. So, like, Gary Kubiak had a really nicely called game, I thought. He had some creative play calls that worked in spots that we would have criticized if they didn't work. I'm looking at that Kirk Cousins uh, sneak. That one's that, That's what I'm thinking of. If that hadn't worked, we would have been like, what the hell are you doing? But it worked, so it gets praised as it should. And it, they were using a little bit more motion, not tons and tons of it, like uh, maybe Jeremiah Searles was asking for in the last week's pod, but they were using some of it. Uh, Kirk was able to do, uh, like see some of the coverages maybe before they were happening, and it was a nicely called game. And so, yeah, good teams capitalize on what bad teams uh, struggle with. And so they Vikings did good, did well on third downs, um, which a lot of them came because they were running David Johnson in between the tackles in first and second down, but they were still stopping it on third down in those obvious pass situations. Deshaun Watson looked out of sorts in that first half. He got it together in the second half, but – yeah, like they they capitalized when they needed to. Like the receivers did really well. They they found open open holes for Kirk to find him. And I thought Kirk had a pretty good game overall. There's a couple times he throws it behind the sticks. Those are always going to stick out. But he has the most of everyone that's like started a game. He's or started all of the team's games. He's leading the NFL in average attempted air yards. So he's throwing it downfield. He's throwing it downfield. I think it's one point five yards uh, like past the sticks, which is, again, top five in the NFL. So we're going to pick those outliers, but he's been really aggressive. Dalvin Cook was still successful, even though 33% of the time there were eight men in the box today. So he was like – Dalvin Cook was really impressive. That touchdown run is the one that sticks out in my head where he's going to the ground, breaks three tackles, really did it all by himself. So there's a lot of good things you can take away from this team, and I think you just have to say, yeah, Houston was bad, but – you're, you need to capitalize when they're bad, and they did that. You don't see good teams, like, letting those teams, like, come back and win. And it was close, but it didn't happen. So, yeah, overall, I'd say the Vikings played well. You have to feel good about that. But there's also in the back of your mind, it's like if they had a competent head coach, uh, Houston, would this have gone different? I want to remind you to go to SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. If you have not seen it yet, you've got to check it out. A couple of my favorite designs are the Duck Duck Gray Duck and the Randy Moss Goat, which you've got to see. Uh, all their apparel is screen-printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. We're going to hook you up with free shipping on your next order, by the way. Use 
promo code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. That's SOTASTIC, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. But how many times have we played this game with Kirk Cousins, by the way, where it's, well, you know, he had a great game and it was against a bad team. Think about last year where they were in dire straits. They lose to Chicago. Stephon Diggs skips practice. He's so apoplectic about their offense. And then they go to New York and they just blow the freaking pants off of the New York Giants easily. They run all over them. They, they throw the ball all over them. There's receivers open all the time because the Giants are a joke. So they do that. And then they have a decent win against the Eagles. But it turns out the Eagles weren't really all that good last year. And then you have you know, a comeback against the Broncos, but it was their third string quarterback. You have a big win against Detroit, but David Blau is starting. Like There was a lot of this last year, and there really has been throughout the Kirk Cousins era that if you bring in a worse team and a bad defense against Kirk Cousins, he's going to beat you. And it just all kind of circles back. Everything in this conversation circles back to this is why you weren't getting Trevor Lawrence is because Kirk Cousins is just too good. He's going to beat the teams he's supposed to beat. Now, the question is, when you look forward on that Viking schedule, how many of these teams is he supposed to beat? And that's where I think it does get kind of interesting going forward. This is not a team that often upsets anyone in terms of uh, winning teams, Super Bowl contenders, and so forth. But you've got the Falcons, you've got Detroit, you've got Chicago, you've got uh, the Cowboys. I mean, Chicago, who's scared of them right now playing their backup quarterback and three kind of unimpressive wins. You know, I'd say a little bit of luck on a couple of them. They have to come back in one against Atlanta. They get lucky there. They have to have the Detroit running back drop a pass in the end zone. They get lucky there. So, I mean, it's kind of interesting that we're, you know, you look at the upcoming schedule and all of a sudden a win against a bad team that you could throw out. But I think it does tell you something. It tells you you're going to beat the bad teams. And that means you're probably not going two and 14. Yeah, and minus the one play that Jeff Gladney got beat on, the the characteristic like the plays that we've seen, the big plays that they're letting up over and over and over again, there were a couple of them. But I, besides Gladney getting beat on that one, I think it was Will Fuller or Kenny Stills, one of them caught that ball. They they kept a lot of the things in front of them, um, minus George Iloka, which we'll probably get to in a, in a little bit. Um, but yeah, so in general, I like the way they played. It's I think it's all you can really ask for this team at this point with who they were starting on defense, still a lot of guys out. George Iloka coming in mid-game, that defense was going to regress a little bit from what we saw in the first half. So overall, I like I like where the Vikings are. And I want, I want to talk about George Iloka, but in the context of Harrison Smith and how important he is in this defense. And is, is Harrison Smith the most indispensable part of this of this unit? Because they, they were playing well before he got out there. And then once Iloka came in, I don't know if it's Deshaun Watson who deserves credit. I don't really want to give it to Bill O'Brien, but they they targeted Iloka in spots. They got him on that touchdown where he was inexplicably going towards the middle, even though the other safety was kind of crashing towards that route and that guy was covered. I'm not sure what he was doing, just leaving the guy in the corner open. And on the Will Fuller uh, touchdown, he just ran right past George Iloka. Him and Anthony Harris were talking pre-snap, and suddenly – Iloka's up by the line of scrimmage and Fuller's just passed him and Harris is like, what the heck just happened? So we saw what happened when a guy that isn't so good comes in for Harrison Smith. 
Um, so I, this is going to be less of a George Iloka conversation and more of a Harrison Smith conversation. How, like, how important is he to that defense? Is he the most important cog more than Daniil Hunter? Maybe anyone else, but Daniil Hunter would be the other one that comes to mind. So I never had this dream, but I know other people who did, where you show up for a test and you didn't know there was a test and you didn't study. Uh, that's George Iloka, but it's not his fault. He was told to study the nickel corner position because they didn't have a backup nickel corner. So if someone got hurt, he was going to play that position. And you actually saw that early in the game when Dantzler got beat up a little, that he went in and played in the nickel spot. So he was ready for all of those assignments he hadn't studied where he was supposed to be in this game plan with these coverages and was basically just trying to guess on where he was supposed to be, it seems, from the way that Mike Zimmer explained it. So that's a really tough break uh, for George Iloka because, of course, he gets made fun of for having a bad game. But at the same time, I mean, it's really hard to play safety in the NFL. There's so many reads. There's so many assignments that you have to know. You don't just drop by and all of a sudden you are uh, in, in great shape if, if you weren't studying that position all week long. So that was a tough situation for him, and it definitely evened the playing field a little bit from what it would have been otherwise. If Harrison Smith's in, there's probably two touchdowns that don't get scored, as you mentioned. So, you know, I think that he's always been that, Harrison Smith, in terms of indispensable players players on this defense that he was out for a game against Indianapolis a couple of years ago. And Andrew Luck went absolutely crazy against the Vikings without Harrison Smith. He was banged up in a game against green Bay and Aaron Rodgers went nuts. And that's just how it's always been because he's one of the best players in the entire NFL. I think the question is even as great as he is, is there anything he can do to keep this defense from being bad? And the answer is probably no, because he's played tremendously good football over the first couple of weeks and looks like a guy that they will extend next year. And he's going to be here like a Viking for life kind of thing. Um, but it shows you that even as well as he's played, their defense is just not all that good because their corners can still get toasted by good wide receivers who can go deep and the quarterbacks often have time to throw this in particular was a pretty poor looking game plan from the Houston Texans but we just went through the schedule well let's go through it again of what they have coming up here I mean they've got Russell Wilson who is coming up next and then you know after that you've got good good quarterbacks pretty much everywhere although I have not been super impressed by what I've seen from uh Matt Stafford, but you've got Matt Ryan, who's put up great numbers despite them being 0-3. Aaron Rodgers, Matt Stafford, of course, Bears are you know not in a great situation, but Dak Prescott is putting up huge numbers as well and is doing his job for the Dallas Cowboys. So it doesn't get any easier for the secondary, and uh, if they lose Harrison for a you know suspension, if it's one game against Seattle, then wow, you're in really bad shape. Or if he's injured at all. It kind of speaks to this team really ignored the depth and just kind of hoped, I don't know, that someone would wander by TCO Performance Center and be like, hey, I can play guard. I could play, you know, I, I could be an edge rusher. Just throw me in or something like, right? Like, did they think that they were just going to find some of these people when they refused to sign free agents except for George Iloka? I don't know, but, you know, that's. I think that more effort needed to be made in the offseason for something that was foreseeable than drafting Brian Cole, who got cut, and Josh Metellus, who's a special teamer, to be the backup safeties. Yeah, and I think his absence was almost like a tipping point of just all the absences they have on that de defensive line because they've already lost Michael Pierce. They've already lost Neil Hunter. They've already lost Anthony Barr, 
and Hunter and Barr have both been in the system for a really, really long time. So you're taking two of your biggest veterans out, and so then that puts even more pressure on the veterans that are there. So that's Smith, that's Kendricks, that's Harris. So then you take another one of them out. It's like the third guy that you weren't expecting to not be out there is also not out there. So that's that's just going to kind of – it's just going to keep, like, rolling down a hill. Like, it's just it's picking up steam. Like, when you don't have Hunter, like, if you had Hunter, you still had Pierce, or you still had Griffin, and you lose Smith, you're still going to be able to count on some pressure to maybe, like, counteract some of that. You lose Barr, or you, you lose Smith, but you still have Barr. He's going to be able to do a little bit of stuff to maybe put some pressure, create some different looks that can kind of help take some pressure off that. But then when you don't have Daniil, you don't have Anthony Barr, you're, you're like, putting so much responsibility in Harrison Smith and then Harris and Smith, and I guess Harrison Smith, but, and then you take Harrison Smith out, and you don't have a backup that's ready to play, that's just when it gets even worse. So I think his his absence was just kind of, it was blown up because we were also missing these other guys too. Yep, and I would say this for their defense. In terms of having a safety who was not prepared or even asked to prepare to play in that circumstance, and they didn't really get a whole ton of pressure on Deshaun Watson except for the pressure that was created by him not having open wide receivers, they played pretty well in spots in this game. And I think that the other part of the tank for Trevor that was never going to happen is is Mike Zimmer going to coach a team so poorly like Adam Gase or like Matt Patricia or like Bill O'Brien? Like, is he going to coach a team so poorly that they end up in that conversation? I had just always had a really tough time seeing it, no matter how bad the personnel is. And we may have seen some progress from the corners. It will be very interesting to go back and look at the film and see how the corners specifically played. But you mentioned a you know, Gladney gets beat once, but it was the only time I remember him really getting smoked. And Holton Hill made a couple of plays. He had a bad penalty. I still don't really see it with him. I thought he could have been penalized on a play early in the game as well, and he kind of got away with it. He's there at the end, but it's more of a drop than it is, or maybe a throw is slightly off than it is a great defensive play. Um, If he catches the ball, we're talking about how Holton Hill got beat on that play, as opposed to, hey, he was in coverage when the guy didn't score. Uh, so I, I don't have like huge confidence that it will be way different, but progress is what you're looking for. And I think when two of the touchdowns are scored on just miscommunications um, with a guy who was not expected to ever be in the game, that maybe some progress here today, that's going to be really tested um, over the next couple of weeks because Seattle and Atlanta can put up huge points. Yeah. And I mean, it, it was expected that George Iloka came in because obviously he had like experience in in Zimmer's system before, so maybe Zimmer has a little bit of, like, he, he just feels like Iloka can go out and play that maybe a little bit better. He's a veteran. Maybe he can handle the change of position, but I would have liked, if you're going to throw someone out there and just kind of see what they're going to have, like, if they would have elevated one of the guys that they drafted in the kind of the depth of the, uh, the cornerbacks or Josh Metellus' safety, Brian Cole, maybe we would have gotten a chance to see one of those younger guys get put in, because at this point, Iloka is, is just not a great player and he's a veteran. He's not a guy we're going to be able to see much past this. He, in an ideal scenario, he's not playing for any sort of good team. We don't know that about any of the young guys. So I can't fault Zimmer because he's trying to win the game. He's putting in the veteran who he thinks maybe can handle it the best. But just from a perspective of maybe if we're looking in the 2021 tunnel, it would have been nice to see one of those younger guys go in. But again, I can't fault him for that. Um, I wanted to end with, a COVID question just in the fact that we were kind of waiting all week for maybe just 
a case to pop up. Like we're, we're seeing Tennessee have new cases every day and you're just looking at how physical a sport football is. And you're saying, well, if they had guys along the defensive line that have tested for it. Like they were right there with a bunch of Minnesota players. Like it, I, I didn't know if I want, like was expecting it, but I, I wasn't going to be surprised if they said someone tested positive, but they didn't, they didn't really mention it much in the telecast other at the, other than at the beginning. And then it was just kind of like football. And like, I think yesterday there was probably a, there was like a, a, a moment when Cam Newton tested positive and some other stuff happened. And then there's, Oh, are they going to shorten the regular season? And it kind of was all panicking there for a second. And then games started today and it was like, did any of that even really happen? So I guess, I don't, I don't know. It, I don't know if we're in the clear. None of, neither of us are doctors. I don't know if anyone really knows, but like, it's only been seven days since the Vikings have played. We know how this virus is. It can be longer than that to incubate, but they're getting tested so often. I'm sure they're getting monitored if they have symptoms or anything like that. But are you like surprised we didn't have anything pop up? Uh, is this kind of how you expected it to go? I don't know. Just go wherever you want with that. Cause I think there's so many unknowns and we're not, we're, we're still not sure if we're out of the woods, if we're still in it. Like, I, I, I really don't know. So I, I'm, I'm sure you don't know either, but kind of take it away there. You've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesesteak Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are also still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food will be on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of more than $15 when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off, zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. So the Vikings had a couple of inconclusive tests and then had to do more testing and so forth. And I think one of the biggest misunderstandings is that when you test negative, it means at that very moment you are not sick with COVID. It does not mean that it can't, like you said, incubate and show up soon. And it doesn't mean that you might not be contagious. This is why the whole mask thing, because you might have contracted it at some point and not realize it and then be spreading it to other people. So if you wear the mask, then it does not do that or it lowers significantly the chances of doing it. Also, being able to play today, having everyone test negative is a great thing for the Vikings, a very lucky thing for the Vikings, considering the close contact they had with so many Titans, not only during plays, but also after the game and things like that. I know they try to limit it, but players still do it. Uh, The number of people that you see in the stands uh, now for this game uh, against Houston that had no mask at all or took their mask down, uh, the fact that you see players after games talking and things like that, that you see coaches, even Mike Zimmer, lifted up his shield to talk to the referee at one point. Like that's not 
what the shield is for. It's for when you talk to the referee. And honestly, he should probably have a mask too, just to be completely safe about this thing. And I also wonder about the Titans, how closely they were following a lot of the protocols. If they had this big of an outbreak, because the protocols are designed to not have this big of an outbreak. So that's another thing to question. And I also feel sad for my profession. Uh, honestly, for journalism and broadcasting, when you get so much of it's fine, it's fine. I don't know what I don't know what you guys are all worried about. This is totally fine. The NFL, great job, NFL. Love you, NFL. Yay, yay, yay. Like, oh look, okay. I don't want anybody sick. I want football to be played more than anything on this God's green freaking earth. But I also want it to be done safely as absolute safely as possible and when you have your quarterback test positive and then you just say oh well we'll just test a bunch of people and bump the game back like okay my research here and understanding and reading on this virus is that's probably not safe and they really probably the patriots should have pushed this game back a week and the nfl should have known this stuff was coming and i thought that pro football talk put it really well through the first three weeks, it was like when you or I par the first three holes. We're bound to get a triple bogey soon because we're not good golfers and because COVID is very, very hard in a non-bubble to keep out. And so I thought the amount of people who were saying nothing to see here, nothing to see here, um, I, I thought that that's concerning a little bit in terms of the way the media uh, in some instances, was willing to carry the water for the NFL in a situation where we should really be analyzing this with the utmost scrutiny. And uh, yeah, they're not out of the woods yet for the Vikings, the way this thing works, but I would say they got very lucky here. It does not mean that you can't like have COVID spread during a game. It does not mean that. Like, people who are taking it that way, I think, have it completely wrong. It's more of a case of very good luck that it hasn't happened yet. It does not mean, oh, well, everyone in the world just can't get COVID, so uh, it'll be fine. Like, the president of the United States has COVID. Like, it can happen to anyone, anywhere, anytime, and if you take your foot off the gas, I'm not saying that shut down the NFL. I'm saying if you take your foot off the gas, and if, as journalists, you just say, no, no, you guys got it all taken care of, great job, congratulations, then that's how we end up with problems. So the NFL should reevaluate everything they do after this with the Titans. They should investigate very thoroughly what happened with the Titans, and then we can go forward. I think it's great what they've done, the NFL. They've done as, as, as much as they possibly could so far. But this is still a very, very serious concern. And so there are still things when you see people on the sideline without masks, when you see people in the stands without masks and those things, are we taking every possible precaution? Are all players and all coaches taking it seriously? And is the NFL doing enough? These are questions that should continue to be asked. And when you ask them, you'll have people who say, oh, you, don't, you didn't want football. Man, that, I am the person you can't say that to. <laughs> I want everyone to be safe. Uh, and uh, I think uh, most people look at it that way. So there, there's your COVID rant. I'm very happy that the Vikings so far have dodged that bullet, though, and let's hope that that continues. Yeah, and I think it it was probably just, like, complacency that had maybe set in. Like, they, they did a pretty good job throughout training camp, throughout all the offseason stuff. They went through three weeks, and they – I think, like, just society in general, after a while, you haven't had it for a while, maybe the people you know haven't gotten it, and you're like, well, it's, a, it's like, 
we've been okay. And so then every once in a while, you just don't put up your mask when you're doing something or you just forget to grab it. And it could have been as simple as that. It didn't have to be like intentional, like Titans players were just ducking it because they didn't want to do it. It could have just been as simple as they didn't put it on one time and that's when it happened. And so I think if anything, I think we saw like the schedule got affected, things got affected. Like if the number of games gets affected, that could potentially, I don't know how the NFLPA would bargain for it, but that could hurt the players' bottom lines or things like that. So I think hopefully everyone kind of looked at this and said, okay, this, it did happen, even though we all feel like we're doing a good job, which by and large, you are doing a good job, but we can see one slip up turns into a whole team having to skip a game. Like they just tested positive more people on Sunday, which Pro Football Talk said that then puts them in jeopardy for next week. So if anything you're taking from this, it's okay, maybe we got complacent. We got to get back on it. And so hopefully that's what happens. Uh, the Titans thing is at this point, it's, ha- it's already started. So you can only hope to like contain it at this point. So hopefully they can, can kind of contain that and it doesn't have to spread to where this is happening to other teams to where they're going to have to build in more weeks to the schedule, where they're going to have to just cancel games for team for specific teams or for all teams. Like let's, let's just hope this is a sign that, okay, like we, we were doing a really good job and maybe we patted ourselves on the back a little bit too too much and now let's take a step back let's get back to what we were supposed to be doing and 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 let's attack this so that's that's what I'm hoping comes from this well and I think what they also have to do is just be prepared because I I don't know that Titans players did anything wrong I mean it just might be bad luck um but I think that it should be investigated to see what happened if they can figure it out how it it got in the building and how it spread so much when all of these social distancing masks all those different things they're all designed so it doesn't spread the way that it did but I also would just advise the NFL, be ready. Because if you have multiple problems like this going forward, and you may, then be ready for something else. Be ready to take a two-week break. Be ready to have some sort of bubble option. I mean, the one thing I thought of was if you had to do the final couple of months of the season is like bubble for a month, take a couple weeks off, bubble again. Like that, that might have to happen. And so the NFL needs contingency plans on top of contingency plans. Uh, I think they've proven that it can work to be able to play this way, um, but it is not a perfect system. And so that's kind of the point. And I would also just tack on before we wrap up is that, I mean, good job by the Vikings. Like they showed up and by the second drive, they're moving the ball and scoring. Their defense initially was playing pretty well. First three drives, 16 yards. They came out prepared despite a lot of different distractions, missing a practice. And I think it says a lot about, I mean, yeah, okay, the Texans are bad. But I think it also says a lot about the character of a lot of players on this team, that a lot of players that they have are winners. And again, reason that it's hard to tank, you have a lot of players that want to win every Sunday no matter what, and not guys who are just going to get steamrolled or let small things you know, throw them far off their game or a coach who's going to let that happen. So um, good job to them on that and to them on shutting their facility down and taking extra measures and everything else and adhering to all the testing. Hopefully that all continues and we don't have to have this conversation again. So uh, great questions, Paul. Great stuff. It was uh, a unique feeling. Haven't felt it in quite a while. The Vikings have not won a football game since, would it be week 15? Last year? Would that be? Uh, Regular season. Yeah, regular season, right. Right, I mean, postseason, but regular season. I mean, they, of course, went against New Orleans, but last regular season win must have been week 15 
against maybe the Chargers was the last time they won a regular season game. So it's been a while. Been yeah, a while. If, they had, if they hadn't won today, I think we would have had a, a question of, well, how long is it going to be since this next one? Because they have, they have some tough opponents coming up. Um, so, yeah, we're, I'm glad they got this one. It's, it's a little weird looking at Twitter because I don't know how many people are actually glad they got this one. <laughs> I think three weeks into the season, people got a little ahead of themselves, which I can't blame them. Um, but it, it happened. So now I think everyone has to readjust, and, and hopefully people are, people are more excited than not about the Vikings finally winning a game. Well, we know that it always changes from week to week. If they upset the Seahawks, then it will be, let's go to the playoffs. So that will be what we're focused on this week, is what it all means to get this win, and can they upset the Seahawks somehow, and much, much more as always coming up this week on Purple Insider. So we will catch you then. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division championships, futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.